We're in Matthew chapter 26, and <clears throat> uh, we've, um, we, we left off, uh, we, or I should say we came to the place where Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, meaning oil press, under tremendous pressure, uh, because he knows what's coming, and you see that uh, you see the real human side of him, that he's fully man, not just fully God. But you see the distress and the pressure he's under, and he talks to his father, and we know from other Gospels that he's calling him in the Greek uh, Abba, which is Daddy, a very intimate term of relationship. So you see all these things taking place. He has now come to that moment where he's finished in the garden, and he had said, come on, let us be going. The one who betrays me is at hand. You know, meaning God, he, maybe he knew they were already coming, or maybe he could see the torches in the distance. But Judas is coming. So in Matthew 26, we're going to pick up at verse 47. And it says, while Judas was still speaking, I mean, sorry, while he was still speaking, the old Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests um, and elders of the people. I find it fascinating, says Judas, one of the twelve, because Judas was a pretty common name back then. Not anymore. <laughs> Nobody names their kid Judas anymore. Name your kid Jude. It's a cool name. But no one names their kid Judas because he pretty much ruined that name right there. Now Judas, as he's coming up with the crowd, um, you think about it uh, as they're coming up, large crowds coming up to, to get Jesus. So Jesus slept off with the disciples asleep. So the, Judas and the gang are going to disturb the sleep of the 11 other disciples. So there's a double disturbance. Jesus has been disturbed in spirit and in soul because of what he's got to do to save mankind. But the disciples are disturbed in sleep. There's a dual disturbance here. Now Judas, um, his name Judas Iscariot, and I think we've said in times past that Iscariot, not necessarily his last name, has a couple other possibilities. <clears throat> Judas uh, Iscariot, there's a place called Kerioth, you know, Ish, Kerioth, Ish means man. Kerioth is a city, a little village. He could be Judas the man from Kerioth. Hmm. That's interesting right there. <clears throat> now there's another um, possibility that he's from uh, Judas uh, uh, Iscariot or Sikara. Now what do I mean by Sikara, Judas Iscariot or Sikara? In Acts chapter 21 and verse 38, if you want to turn there very quickly, Acts 21 and verse 38, they talk about these uh, assassins. And it says in verse 38, then you are not, because um, they're talking to Paul, questioning Paul about who he is. He says, then you are not one, not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness. Now the word assassins, there's the word Sikara. So maybe Judas is part of the, this group of assassins. So th that's a possibility right there a nationalist group trying to overthrow the Romans. And maybe that's why that he betrays Jesus, because he's not, Jesus is not going down the road he wants him to go. Now, we said last two times ago that maybe because he turns in Jesus for the money because Judas has also been stealing money from the treasury uh, of Jesus and the gang. So all kinds of possibilities right there. You know, you got to bring up a theological issue and a, and a question because... You know, it's been said that, you know, it's not fair 
Because Judas, it's prophesied that someone's going to betray Jesus. It's an Old Testament prophecy. He who uh, <clears throat> ate my bread with me lifted up his heel against me, the psalmist said. And you could say, well, it's really not fair. You know, how could you judge Judas when it's already been this thing that somebody's going to betray him, and now we find out it's him? Well, you know, if you look into Romans chapter 3, because the same question you could ask for, the, for a Pharaoh. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking in human terms. And he says, may it never be, God forbid. He's saying, righteous God cannot be unrighteous by pouring out wrath on this person used to demonstrate the righteousness of God. You could use that for Judas and say, see, it's not fair. How can God judge this man for the evil he commits? Well, you forget one big deal in that statement. Judas still committed the evil. And he'll be judged for the evil he commits, just like anyone who doesn't turn and put their faith in Jesus Christ and become a follower. Now, that's a short answer of a theological uh, question that people will bring up at times. Just remember, it's still, it still was his decision to do this. Now, verse 48. Now, he was betraying him, meaning Judas, gave them a sign, saying, whomever... I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Now, now Judas is turning into the third base baseball coach, you know. You know, whatever, he's going to give the sign. The sign that this is the guy. And the sign is, I'm going to kiss the guy who's the guy. I'm going to kiss Jesus. Now, why do they need a sign? I mean, <laughs> Jesus has been teaching all over the place. Well, a couple possibilities there. One, it's dark. It's nighttime. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane at night. The other possibility, though, is an interesting one. In Isaiah, the prophecy in Isaiah 53, specifically verse 2, but it's the, it's the suffering Messiah prophecy there, talking about how Jesus would suffer, die, etc. In verse 2, it talks about the Messiah, and it says, He has no stately form or majesty, that we'd be attracted to him, or appearance. In other words, it almost leans towards the idea that Jesus, the Messiah, would not be anything special to look at. He would not be this overly, maybe good-looking guy. He would be a very ordinary-looking person. And isn't that just like the way God would pull these things together? That he would just be another face in the crowd, as far as appearances. And so Judas says, maybe because of darkness and maybe because of the way Jesus' physical appearance, Judas says, whoever I kiss, that is the guy. Seize that guy. So, verse 49. Immediately, Judas, once he gets into the little camp where Jesus and the guys are, Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi. Now stop there. Notice once again, like in the Last Supper, Judas uses the word rabbi. In the Last Supper, when Jesus says, someone's going to betray me, he says, surely not I, rabbi. When the other disciples said, surely not I, Lord. So you begin to see again that Judas' heart, he's not believing in this idea that Jesus is actually God in the flesh. He's not believing it. And it says, hail rabbi, 
and kissed him. The idea there is that he kissed him a few times. Kissed him and he kissed him again. <clears throat> now, verse 50. And Jesus said to him, Friend, come on, man. <laughs> if, if you knew this person was coming to betray you, and what they're going to do to you is one of the most torturous, gruesome things, once he signals you out, would you call him friend? Would you do that? I think that's the way Jesus looks at humanity. Potential friends. Potential relationship. With anyone who would put their faith in him. He says, friend. Do what you have come for. Remember Jesus told him at the Last Supper, what you do, do quickly. And now here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus follows it up with, okay, carry it out. Do what you've come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. In other words, once Jesus, Judas kisses him, and uh, Jesus says, friend, why have you come? Do what you've come for. They realize that's the guy. Seize him. That's Jesus. And they seize him. And they take him. Now it gets very interesting as things now begin to unfold in the final hours leading up to the crucifixion. Verse 51. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Whoa. Now it's getting intense. We know from a different gospel, Matthew doesn't name the person who pulls out the sword and cuts off the slave's ear, the servant's ear. But you could pretty much guess who the guy is. The other gospel writers name him, and it's Peter. Peter is always the guy that dives in headfirst and thinks about it later. <laughs> I'm a little like that. And some of you are the opposite. You're going to think about it a long time before you dive in. We need all kinds of people. We need all kinds. But Peter's the guy that just dives in. And when he sees what's going on, that they've grabbed hold of Jesus, you know, remember he said, even if I have to die with you, he pulls out his dagger and he cuts off the, the ear of that, uh, of that slave right there. Now, <clears throat> isn't it interesting? Um, there's, there's a couple things that I want to say about this moment in time. Because Peter does the wrong thing. Because we know that Jesus has to go through this if salvation is going to come to mankind. So Peter messed up. Have you messed up? Have I messed up at times? Trying to carry out God's will? You betcha. <laughs> We've all done it. That's the first idea. But the second idea must come into play also. We could say, I messed up. And that's the end of my story. This is how my story ends. Peter could think that, and one day, in a moment, he's going to think that. I messed up, and this is how my story ends. It's just not going to get better. I really messed it up. We could look at it another way. 
he cuts off the guy's ear. That's interesting. Because Peter was Simon. Remember before his name was changed to Peter the rock, the stone? Well, Simon also carries the idea of to hear. So here's a guy who cuts off, whose previous name is like to hear kind of, and now he cuts off the hearing of somebody. That's interesting, is it not? But we can magnify that. How many of us, well, we've all done it. At times, don't our actions cut off the hearing of an unbeliever and therefore they, will, they cannot hear the word of God and the truth of God's word by the way we carry ourselves, by the compromise in our life. Isn't that true? Oh, Christian friend, you may not think that carrying yourself above reproach outside of church is important. It's very important. I believe the Christians in America are so compromised and I'm talking about people that have been walking in faith for a while. We turn our freedom into opportunity for the flesh, like Paul said. And we've got to be careful about that kind of stuff. Because we can cut off the hearing of people by our actions who need to hear what Jesus has to say because he is the author of salvation. Now there's something else I want to say about this. He cuts off the man's ear. Jesus, in another gospel, we find out that Jesus heals the man's ear. I don't know if he picked up the ear. I, I don't know if that means that the ear fell to the ground. He picked it up and put it back on, and there it was, or it was cut off and it was hanging, and Jesus touched him, and the, the ear was healed. I, I don't know exactly what that means, but we know that Jesus healed the man's ear. You know why that's important? Because instead of, if he wouldn't have done that in fixed Peter's mess. There have been four crosses we're talking about that day instead of three. It would have, instead of just Jesus and the thief on each side, it would have been Jesus, a thief, a thief, and Peter on one of the sides out there because Peter would have been taken to the cross too. But Jesus picks up the ear, puts it back on, fixes everything, hides or I should say, eliminates all evidence of a crime. Isn't that what Jesus does in our lives? Through the blood? Through the blood of Jesus, every sin we've committed, every mistake, every failure, Jesus <laughs> eliminates it through the blood that he shed on the cross. There is no more evidence. There is none. God looks at it and says, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great thing? So why don't we turn around and give grace and forgiveness to others if it's such a great thing? But aren't you glad that Jesus washes away our past? Aren't you just glad? I mean, I am. I mean, I think that's the thing that if we would maybe think about that here and there, it would keep you and me, at least for me, it, it would keep me a little bit more humble knowing that, my gosh, all my sins have been washed away. That's just a great thing. It's a great thing. Now, let's continue on. Verse 52. Then Jesus said to them, said to him, he's talking to Peter, put your sword back. 
into its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Mm. It's, a, it's one of those so reap statements of Jesus. Look, you want to live that way? That's the way it's coming back at you. I'll put it to you another way. You want to verbally cut people down? It's going to cut back at you. You want to gossip and tear people apart, verbally cut them out? It's going to come back at you. And it's unavoidable. You can't stop it. Because you've set in motion something that is true because it's a, it's a principle of God. Whatever I plant is what I get back. Just never forget that. Never forget that. So he says, put the sword away. Quit cutting people down. Put it away. We're here to heal. We're not here to cut people. Come on, man. Verse 53, here it comes. Now watch what Jesus says. Because in the garden, remember, he's under distress and pressure. That's, that means he's totally man. But now we're going to have a statement where he's totally God. Woo! Verse 53. Peter, do you not think... In other words, Peter just sliced off the ear because he's like Moses. I'm going to kill him one at a time. Really? <laughs> Jesus says, he heals the ear goes, Peter, don't you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, meaning God in heaven, and he will at once, meaning right now, Put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. You know how many, you know how many potential angels that is? That's 72,000. He says, Peter, 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 come on, guy. Haven't you learned enough by now that I could stop this at any time? I mean, you're going to try to deliver me with the, you know, cutting off an ear one at a time. Are you kidding? If I wanted to stop this, I could. Do you know that one angel in the Old Testament in Isaiah 37, verse 36, killed a hundred and I think 85 or 86,000 Assyrians in one night? One angel. So these guys are packing. Guys are packing. He says, I can call down 72,000 of them right now. So Peter, put the sword away. Put the violence away. Let me say something. Because this is a Bible study. And um, on Sunday mornings, I, I want to make sure that I reach believers and unbelievers. So I try to watch what I say in certain ways to reach them. Because I have to be conscious of an unbeliever out there. But I'm assuming that are all believers watching me right now. So when it's in this scenario, I can be a little bit more of, um, I guess, the way God made me. Um, and he made me this way. What Jesus is saying in verse 53 is this. You think Judas is in charge? You think these Pharisees and scribes and all, you think they're in charge? You think we're losing, Peter? You think they're getting the upper hand on us? Is that what you think? Oh, no, 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 Peter. God's in charge. I'm in charge. All the evil out there, not in charge. Let me say something about that. Yeah, I look around. I'm not oblivious. And I see life black and white. I see it right and wrong. I see it through the scriptures. And your version better be of Jesus, better be the right one. 
or else you're going to make a lot of bad decisions and make a lot of wrong statements. Um, yeah, do I worry a bit about the world that my granddaughter Willa has been born into, the America? Absolutely. Do I worry a little bit about the world that my next granddaughter, who will be born in September, with the world, the America she's going to be born into? Absolutely. I don't like things that I see. I don't like the redefinition of, of, uh, of certain things in America. They're redefining everything. To the point that they're redefining God out of everything. They're redefined, they've already redefined when actually a life is a life. They don't call it a baby in the womb, they call it a fetus. You gotta re give redefinitions to make it easier. I don't like when I hear politicians saying, well, we're, you know, they have reproductive rights. All it means is they can kill babies in the womb. I don't like the redefinitions. If you think I'm a little angry right now, I do. I get a little bit hostile inside. I feel like pulling out the sword like Peter at times. I don't like that they're redefining the fact that they're going to teach our children now that they don't have to. A boy, you're not really a boy. You choose what you want to be. You're not really good. You choose what you want to be. I don't like those redefinitions because all they are is against God's word because he created them male and female, remember? It's in the fall of man they take on the fig leaves, which they take on a different image than the one God gave them. You were created in the image of God, male or female. They try to change the image. It's a redefinition. I don't like what's going on right now. I don't like it at all. I don't like that they're redefining uh, marriage as anything goes. It's, it's not just a man and a woman. It can be a man and a man, a woman and a woman. I don't like that. Are you saying you hate them? Stop. Quit, quit being like the, the news media today that anytime you stand up for what is right and true, they call you a hater. I'm not a hater. And neither are the people that stand up for right. Would you start to think now, instead of just going with the narrative that you hear all the time, think, Christian. Think. But here's what I know. Even though I feel like Peter at times, I need to pick up that sword. I, need to, I know that, you know what? God is still in control. God's still running the show. It may look like they're gaining on us. It may look like we're losing here or there, but God is still running the show. He, can, I say, he says, I've called on 72,000 angels any given moment. Never forget that God's still running the show. Never forget that where sin does abound, so much more does grace abound. Never forget that God's in charge. And I still believe there are more of us who are conservative in our thinking towards the things I mentioned before than those that are not. And we need to stand up a time for what we believe is to be true. Teach our kids right. Don't let them fall to the narrative of the people that are coming through on your television screens that teach a different thing than what God has says. Now, you hearing me out there, believer, follower of Christ, don't you dare be afraid to stand up for these things because it's what God says. It's God's word. What's the first thing the serpent attacked with Eve? It was the word of God. Hath God said. That's what they've been attacking the whole time. You stand up for what it says. You better know what it says or you'll fall for anything. Anything. Jesus says, don't you worry, Peter. It looks bad, but I'm still in charge, and I'm still running the show. Now, verse 54. How then will the scriptures be fulfilled, hmm. which say that it must happen this way? So what Jesus is saying, look, 
I got to fulfill the scriptures. It's going to happen this way. This is what it is. And part of everything we're seeing going on, as things get worse and worse, we're just hurtling towards the last days. It, much of it has to happen this way. Verse 55. At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, now he turns to all the people there that night coming to arrest him. Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Interesting term, huh? You come in to arrest me like you'd arrest a robber. Isn't they, Jesus a robber? Yes, he is a robber, if you think about it. He's come to earth to rob us of our sins, my friend. He's going to the cross to rob us of our sins. He turns to a robber on the side and he robs him of his sins through the blood of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? I like that. But he says, you've come to arrest me at a robber. And then he says, look, he says, every day I used to sit in the temple teaching. I was every, come on, I was there every day. And you did not seize me? In other words, you had opportunity in the daylight. You saw me there in the temple. Why would you get me then? Ah, we know why. Because back in Matthew 26, 5, it says when they were plotting to steal him, to kill him, they said, but they were saying, not during the festival. Otherwise, a riot might occur among the people. Oh, that's why they didn't get him in the daytime when he was in the temple. Because people would have gone berserko and stopped the people from getting him. That's why fellowship is so important. The enemy can't take you down when you're in fellowship. But you are easy pickings when you are by yourself and you never enter into fellowship with other followers of Christ. You know that? Don't think you're strong. None of us are by ourselves. We are a body of Christ. You must be connected to the body to be connected to the head, Jesus Christ. Never forget that. Now, verse 56. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the, of the prophets. Yeah, well, Isaiah 53, he prophesied it 700 years ago. Daniel, in Daniel 9, prophesies it about, um, about uh, 600 uh, B.C., 600 years before this. We could even go to David in Psalm 22, almost word for word, the crucifixion a thousand years before this. This was prophesied. This come to This is what makes the Bible a supernatural book. So one of the reasons why I believe the evidence is clear. How could these things have happened? They were prophesied so far in advance, and they happened just like it was said. Yeehaw! I said that because I'm a narco. Yeehaw! Then all the disciples left them and fled. Oh, we're gonna. We'll die with you. <laughs> Where they go? Meet, meet, gone. But we'll die with you, man. We won't go anywhere. Now, he's by himself. But we do find out something. We do find out in Mark chapter 14, Mark, who wrote his gospel, he's not one of the 12, but we believe he wrote it down as Peter was given to him, recollecting these things as Peter was getting older and he knew he better write these things down. Mark, it says, that night he followed Jesus and then the soldiers got a hold of him and they grabbed him by the sheet he was wearing and he fled naked. That's interesting. Why would that be put in there? Well, going back to the, remember the fact that Judas probably went to Mark's home first before he came to uh, Gethsemane because Mark's home is probably where the Last Supper was. 
and Mark follows the soldiers. He's a young teenage kid, puts on a sheet because he was asleep, and he's following in the dark. And so when he sees all this happen, he gets close following Jesus, and they see him, they grab him, and they pull the sheet off him, uh, grab a hold of it, and he leaves the sheet and runs naked because that's all he had on because he left quick to follow the soldiers. That's a high possibility. But I want you to think about this. Um, The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, that let go of the sin that so easily entangles us and run the race with endurance. They grabbed a hold of him. He's entangled. And he lets go of the thing that's got him entangled and he runs. See, there's things that uh, entangle all of us. Oh, follower of Christ. We all have certain bents towards certain sins, certain leanings. James tells us that. We've got to be careful not to go down those roads because they entangle us. And you've got to rip free from that so you can run. So you can run and not be entangled. You can run the race with endurance for Christ. Pretty cool, huh? Now, <clears throat> let me finish with a few thoughts here. Verse 57. Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas. Caiaphas is the son-in-law, he's the current high priest, but the son-in-law of Annas, the former high priest. This is actually, uh, Matthew picks it up at the second trial. Jesus was already at the first trial with Annas. You see it in other Gospels as you put it all together. So they seize him, they lead him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. Hmm. That's interesting. How in the world? How in the world? Because by this time it's three in the morning at least. Second trial. How in the world are none of these guys could sleep that night? All the scribes and Pharisees, they all had insomnia and they all decided to sleepwalk and have a meeting? No. No. This is, they've prearranged this plot. They know exactly what they're doing. They stayed awake because they're coming to put Jesus on trial that night. It's fixed. It's fixed. Verse 58. I'll end with this verse. But Peter was following. That's a good thing him at a distance. That's a bad thing. Peter is following at a distance. Didn't he say, even if I have to die with you? And now, he's following at a distance. Where are you following at right now? How close or how far are you to Jesus? Oh, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying that. You're a follower of Christ. You're a follower of Christ. You believe it. But how close are you following? That's a good question to ask ourselves, I think, regularly. But I want you to notice something in verse 58. Let me read the whole thing again. But Peter, following at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and entered in and sat down with the officers 
to see the outcome. Now he's sitting with the wrong people. He will sit with the wrong people later on at that charcoal fire. He's in the wrong fellowship. But notice what it said. He's following at a distance. Notice the three words, as far as. Yeah, I never saw this before until today when I was studying it out this morning again for right now. He's following at a distance, as far as. You know, when you ever watch a movie and somebody is hitchhiking, you pick them up, they go, how far are you going? Oh, I'm going as far as. I'll take you as far as. Meaning that's it, that's as far as I'm going. We got to watch out for our personal as far as. Jesus, I'll follow you, but as far as. You know, I'll follow, I'm not going to serve. I'll follow you to here, but I'll go as far as here, but I'm not serving. I'll go as far as here, but I'm not tithing. I'll go as far as here, but I'm not going uh, to cut out sex with my girlfriend. I'm going to go as far as. Hmm, that's interesting, huh? Jesus, I, I'll go this far, but I'm surely not going to sing and worship you at all. I'll go as far as. See, what you're as far as. Because you're as far as really means you're at a distance. And Jesus, he's not crazy about stuff like that. He wants you hot for him. He wants tight relationship with him. Not at a distance and not as far as.